Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I will be doing episode 47 in my Bioweapons Blues series, and the title is, Will the Deagle Forecast Be Fulfilled? If you listened or started or have gone through my Bioweapons Blues series, the first episode, which was 2022, August of 2022, was uh, in part inspired by an episode of Charlie Robinson's Macro Aggressions where he talks about the Deagle Report. And I came across some information, and there's a lot that I've compiled. I think it's important, and this is uh, really a t- this is a real person, Dr. Edwin A. Deagle Jr., passed away 2021. If you're watching this on Rockfin, you can see his picture. But uh, just shows how they're talking about depopulation. Like people talk about eugenics and i suppose depopulation is part of eugenics but if it's just general random depop uh they're just trying to kill people off like take as many people off the earth as possible play god and uh they've been thinking about it for a while so this all goes back to the 70s and i'm going to follow up with some information on kissinger who's still around um successfully depopulated ukraine uh, during this pseudo proxy war, it's really we're really at war with Russia. It's just uh, people aren't as honorable as they were in like the Second World War, where they actually declare war. So I mean, it's just like the filth and scum that run this country. I'm sure the founders are just spinning in their graves at like 10 billion RPM about what what, it's, what we've come to, but it's a slower process. Although it seems to be accelerating, but really that's kind of off, part off the subject. This is really about the Deagle Report, which predicts and is in writing that huge population decreases are intended. Uh, the U.S. is supposed to be down to 100 million, right? So we're at 320. So imagine if two-thirds of the people around are no longer here. And what, the, what are the consequences? What are the consequences of just this kill-off, 40 million people dead, Those that based upon certain statistical methodologies? Um but in the United States, I think McCull- Dr. McCullough, some of these other people have, you know, guesstimated the shots killed half a million to a quarter million and are still killing people. There's clearly a trend of heightened deaths all over the world uh, that, that kicked in right after the shots went out. So you can see the intent there, the intent to harm. So this is... Um, Edwin Deagle, assistant to the Secretary of Defense and Deputy Secretary of Defense. So he was on the defense. He was also associated, which you all read about, with the Rockefeller Foundation as well. And so this is his obituary. Passed away on February February 16th, 2021 in Tampa, Florida. He went to uh, the United States Military Academy, graduated fifth in his class in 1960. So went to West Point. He returned to the United States after being in Europe and attended Harvard University for his master's degree and his PhD in economics. So, smart guy. But, uh, so Edwin Deagle put up, a, there was a website that supposedly had this information. He was the Undersecretary of the Air Force under Bill Clinton. Um, He's an active member of the CFR and the director for international relations for the Rockefeller Foundation, one of the leading eugenic supporters in the world. 
uh, once this information came public in 2015, and a concerted effort was made to hide Deagle's name from the Who is Information directory. That's kind of telling. Like some of these these this research pops out into the public, but God only knows what they have and hasn't uh, been divulged to the public papers and this top secret stuff, which should scare the living daylights out of you what they're thinking about. Um, <clears throat> he wrote the foreword to the book World Energy Survey by Ruth Sevard in 1981, which he predicted a max, mass exodus from the U.S. One thing is clear from looking at Deagle.com, someone with highly placed connections has published a ton of highly sensitive military and economic information onto one, uh, one website and is making dramatic predictions about world government. To forecast a dramatic drop-off in the U.S. population is no small feat. It has certainly garnered a great deal of world attention. Yes, that's true. So, that's Deagle. Had a long career. His obituary covered a lot of his information. <clears throat> and, of course, we have to think about the Georgia Guidestones. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. What was the Deagle forecast? In 2014, a little-known military contractor called Deagle Corporation published a projection of massive global depopulation by 2025. We know that the desire for the huge human depopulation is written in stone. A shady collective made sure of it when they commissioned the construction of the Georgia Guidestones in 1981. It's a monolith, by the way. It's one of the many monoliths that are around. You can watch my occult Hollywood movie for more on that. The first guideline on the six-meter-tall monument states monolith. Really. Maintain humanity under 500 million, which, make things quite clear, demands a 93% reduction in the human population. A quite horrific thought, especially if such a thing was to happen over a short period of time. With this in mind, let's revisit the frightful Deagle population and output forecast from 2014. Are the predictions real? Are they made up? Or was it yet another psyop? Good question. <laughs> the Deagle Corporation is a minor branch of, branch of U.S. military intelligence, one of the many secretive organizations which collects data for high-level decision-making purposes and prepares confidential briefing documents for agencies like the National Security Agency, the United Nations, and the World Bank. Deagle is known, for example, to have contributed to a Stratfor report on North Korea. With this kind of pedigree, Deagle should be seen as a legitimate uh, intelligence community asset. And so then we'll go through some of these. That's just from, a, I'm quoting from an article about it. But if you're watching this, you can see here the prediction for the U.S. is from 327, 327 million people. And then the forecast 2025 down to 100 million. And the, and the GDP lower, all that stuff. It's pretty wild. Canada, 36 million to 26 million. I think they're saying 100 million off, actually. I, I take that back. That was my mistake. China. Loses a bunch of people. Not that many, actually. Oh, they're trying. They're saying that the entire population of China will be destroyed. 
UK down 15 million. And then there's this just larger forecast with all the, what, 190 countries in the world, what their population change will be. Where's China? Oh, they're, they're only going to supposedly lose 1.6% of their population. But the, the U.S. is much different. It's very strange. Iceland, Hungary just decimated. India, Israel, half population gone. Ireland, 72%. These predictions are incredible. Yeah, the United States. That's right, 68% of the population gone. That's what they're predicting. How and why, I know not. This is Lioness of Judah Ministry from August 2023. Full breakdown of the ongoing covert ops to cull the herd. Alarming proof that the CIA, Rockefeller Foundation, and DOD are directly tied to Deagle's apocalyptic 2025 depopulation forecast. Official excess death figures prove they're exterminating humanity. Yeah, that's right. In a world where reality often seems stranger than fiction, the machinations behind global events can be an enigma wrapped in a mystery. One such intrigue revolves around Deagle.com, an obscure online entity known for its exhaustive data on military capabilities and eyebrow-raising depopulation forecasts for 2025. We can reveal that recent findings appear to link Deagle directly to significant players on the world stage, the Central Intelligence Agency, U.S. Department of Defense, and the Rockefeller Foundation. And so that's Deagle. They have them right there. So just a bunch of people have found a bunch of paperwork. Full letter to the then CIA director Stansfield Turner from Deagle, the deputy director for international relations for the Rockefeller Foundation. So there's literal letterhead and signatures and things like that. All done through Freedom of Information Act requests. So they hints at a relationship with the uh, CIA, which is not surprising. The CIA has released 23 FOIA articles relating to Dr. Deagle, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the U.S. Department of Defense. Strongly, This strongly suggests that Deagle.com isn't just the work of one man, of course it's not, but it is in fact the work of the U.S. military-industrial complex. Yeah, that's probably more correct. And you can kind of see stuff from this thing. The prediction declines, huge prediction declines. Germany, UK, US, Australia. So the decline of the West. Regrettably, the unfolding events strongly suggest that Deagle's ominous depopulation estimates may not be merely speculative. Real world data appears to align disconcertingly with these figures. And so the fact that the U.S. DOD issued a COVID-19 research contract in Ukraine three months prior to the official recognition of the COVID-19 virus raises some seriously unsettling questions, especially when we consider the U.S. Department of Defense is now known to be intricately connected to Deagle along with the CIA and the Rockefeller Foundation. So weird tie-ins with COVID-19. So with this being the official truth, why does the U.S. government data show the U.S. Department of Defense awarded a contract on the 12th of November to Labyrinth Global Health, Inc. 
for COVID-19 research at least one month before the alleged emergence of the novel coronavirus and three months before its official dubbing. The government of the United States has a website called USA Spending, an official open data source for federal spending information. According to the site, as of the 12th of April, 2021, the U.S. government has spent a mind-blowing $3.63 trillion in response to COVID-19. But that's not the only inf- information on COVID that can be found on the site. This huge number, $3.63 trillion. Hidden with the award search are details of a contract awarded by the Department of Defense to a company named Black & Veatch Special Projects Corps, which is allegedly a global engineering procurement consulting con- construction company specializing in infrastructure development. You just see all these laboratory equipment in Kiev. Crazy. So something was going on in Kiev is basically it. While Deagle's links to the Rockefeller Foundation, CIA, and DOD provide a gripping backstory, backstory, the Rockefeller Foundation's role adds a layer of complexity. Powerful entity since the 1913, its alleged mission to promote the well-being of humanity throughout the world has shaped global health policies and led to a significant influence in the creation of the WHO. But this influence hasn't been without controversy. The Rockefeller Foundation's historical entanglement with population control and eugenic programs remains a contentious chapter in its legacy. Its support for these initiatives during the early 20th century presents a disconcerting portrait of the Foundation's role in manning this issue. Eugenics, a field now widely discredited and dismissed as a pseudoscience, aimed to improve the genetic composition of the human race through selective breeding. The Rockefeller Foundation's monetary and ideological support for these programs programs indicates an ethically questionable engagement in directing human evolution and societal composition. The population control initiatives framed as efforts to manage global population growth for sustainable development and resource conservation also bore the foundation's signature. The critics argue argue that such activities echo an, an overreach hinting at an assumed authority to control the demographics of global populations. Yeah, wait a minute. Rockefeller Foundation's past involvements offer invaluable lessons about the potential consequences of unchecked influence and a poignant insight into the organization's considerable sway over global human affairs. Right, and if you've kind of listened to my other stuff about Bill Gates, like the Rockefeller Foundation and Bill Gates Foundation are almost similar. They're like, they run into each other all the time. So there's data, real-world data, talking about excess deaths. Um, it just goes on and on. New Zealand, Australia. New Zealand suffered a shocking 3,404% increase in excess deaths in 49 weeks throughout 2022 compared to 53 weeks throughout 2020. It's incredible. In Canada, the situation is similar. Similarly concerning. So it's all over. I mean, these are just, the data is off the charts. I mean, you have to question the data where these people are getting it, but other people have run these these numbers. The figures have been provided to both the OECD and Euro MOMO by each country's government organizations. The U.S. data has been provided by the Centers for Disease Control. That's not reliable. The UK data has been provided by Office for National Statistics, and Australia's data has been provided 
by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. These aren't independent estimates. They are official government-authorized figures. And they showed that the five highest countries and 26 other countries across Europe suffered millions of excess deaths. Just standard, and you can just see some of this really good article. I got a link to this article. <clears throat> the evidence that suggests the DOD, intimately tied to Deagle.com, may have had an anticipatory hand in COVID 19 research months before the virus's official recognition is, at the very least, curious. Yeah, it's very curious, too, that the DOD managed the shot rollout, right? So that's very important. So these are kind of things that are lining up. It wasn't the U.S. government who's actually the de Department of Defense military rollout. This odd time, timing, coupled with the DOD's expansive research reach on matters of global security, prompts us to question the broader implications and the role they may have played in the unfolding pandemic. The Rockefeller Foundation, another significant force behind Deagle.com, has a historical track record of involvement in population control programs. So then you see the military, like it's a military goal, which is off the charts. And these are just new kind of uh, new stats that have come out, kind of bolstering all this stuff. So it's really incredible. I'm going to read now from another article that I had. It's from EIR. You kind of kind of take it with a grain of salt. But I think it, it references things that are very true. And I'll, I'll include this uh a link to this, but it's the Hague Kissinger depopulation policy. So let me pull that up. Let's see. So this is the EIR. This is from 1981, the Hague Kissinger depopulation policy. Investigations by EIR have uncovered a planning apparatus operating outside the control of the White House whose sole purpose is to reduce the world's population by 2 billion people through war, famine, disease, and any other means necessary. This apparatus, which includes various levels of the government, is determining U.S. foreign policy. In every political hotspot, El Salvador, the so-called Ark of Crisis in the Persian Gulf, Latin America, Southeast Asia, and in Africa, the goal of U.S. foreign policy is population reduction. The targeting agency for the operation is the NSC's ad hoc group on population policy. Its policy planning group is in the U.S. State Department's Office of Population Affairs, established in 1975 by Henry Kissinger, still around. This group, and he's a total frontman for the Rockefeller family and foundation. This group drafted the Carter administration's Global 2000 document, which calls for global population reduction, and the same apparatus is conducting the civil war in El Salvador as a conscious depopulation project. Sounds a lot like uh, Ukraine. There's a single theme behind all our work. We must reduce population levels, said Thomas Ferguson, the Latin American case officer for the State Department's Office of Population Affairs. Let's see if I can get this larger. Either they, the governments, do it our way through nice, clean methods, or they will get the kind of mess we have in El Salvador or in Iran or Beirut. Population is a political problem. Once population is out of control, it requires author authoritarian government, even fascism, to reduce it. That's the guy who works for the State Department. The professionals, said Ferguson, aren't interested in lowering, lowering population for humanitarian reasons. That sounds nice. 
We look at resources and environmental constraints. We look at our strategic needs and we say that this country must lower its population or else we will have trouble. So steps are taken. El Salvador is an example where our failure to lower population by simple means has created the basis for a national security crisis. The government of El Salvador failed to use our programs to lower their population. Now they get a civil war because of it. There will be dislocation and food shortages. They still have too many people. And this is a picture of Denang, a bunch of dead bodies. Civil wars are somewhat drawn out ways to reduce population, the OPA official added. The quickest way to reduce population is through famine, like in Africa, or through disease, like the Black Death, all of which might occur in El Salvador. Ferguson's OPA monitors populations in the third world and maps strategies to reduce them. Its budget for 1980 was $190 million. In 1981, it will be $220 million. The Global 2000 report calls for doubling that figure. The sphere of Kissinger. In 1975, OPA was brought under a reorganized State Department Bureau of Oceans, a body created by Henry Kissinger. This agency was assigned to carry out the directives of the NSC ad hoc group. According to an NSC spokesman, Kissinger initiated both groups after a discussion with the leaders of the Club of Rome during the 1974 population conferences in Bucharest and Rome. The Club of Rome, controlled by Europe's black nobility, is the primary promotion agency for the genocidal reduction of world population levels. The ad hoc group was given high priority by the Carter administration through the intervention of National Security Advisor Zbigniew Brzezinski and Secretaries of State Cyrus Vance and Edmund Muskie. According to OPA expert Ferguson, Kissinger initiated a full about-face on U.S. development policy toward the Third World. For a long time, Ferguson stated the people here were timid. They listened to arguments from third world leaders that said the best contraceptive was economic reform and development. So we put, rushed, we pushed development programs and we helped create a population time bomb. We are letting people breed like flies without allowing the natural causes to keep population down. We raised the birth sur survival rates, extended lifespans by lowering death rates, and did nothing about lowering birth rates. The policy is finished. We are saying with Global 2000 and in real policy that you must lower population rates. Population reduction and control is now our primary policy objective. Then you can have some development. Accordingly, the Bureau of Oceans, International Environmental, and Scientific Affairs has consistently blocked industrialization policies in the third world, denying developing nations across access to nuclear energy technology policies that would enable countries to sustain a growing population. According to State Department sources and Ferguson himself, Alexander Haig is a firm believer in population control. We will go into a country, said Ferguson, and say, here's your goddamn development plan. Throw it out the window. Start looking at the size of your population and figure out what must be done to reduce it. If you don't like that, if you don't want to choose to do it through planning, then you'll have an El Salvador or an Iran or worse, a Cambodia. According to an NSC spokesman, this now shares the view of former World Bank President Robert McNamara that the population crisis is a greater threat to new U.S. national security than nuclear annihilation. Wow. Every hotspot in the world corresponds to a population crisis point, said Ferguson, who would rename Brzezinski's Arc of Crisis Doctrine the Arc of Population Crisis. This is corroborated by statements in the NSC ad hoc group's April 1980 report. 
There's an increased potential for social unrest, economic and political instability, mass migration, and possible international conflicts over control of land and resources, says the NSC report. Then it cites demographic pressures as key to understanding examples of recent warfare in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, El Salvador, Honduras, and Ethiopia, and the growing potential for instability in such places as Turkey, Philippines, Central America, Iran, and Pakistan. Through extraordinary efforts, the ad hoc group and OPA estimate that they may be able to keep 1 billion people from being born through contraceptive programs. But as the ad hoc group's report states, the best efforts of the Shah of Iran to institute clean programs of birth control failed to make a significant dent in the country's birth rate. The promise of jobs through an ambitious industrialization program encouraged migration toward overcrowded cities like Tehran. Now under Ayatollah Khomeini, the clean programs have been dismantled. The government may make progress because it has a program to induce up to half of Tehran's 6 million residents to relocate. And then Ferguson, kill more childbearers. In the past year, 13,000 people in El Salvador have been killed in the civil war that has gripped the country. To the U.S. State Department and its Office of Population Affairs, that is not enough. To accomplish what the State Department deems adequate population control, the civil war would have to be greatly expanded, according to Thomas Ferguson, the Latin American case officer for the OPA. El Salvador was targeted for population control and war in an April 1980 population report published by the National Security Council. El Salvador is an example of a serious country with serious population and political problems, the report states. Rapid population growth, the birth rate has remained unchanged in recent years, aggravate its population density, which is already the highest on mainland of Latin America. While a population control program exists on paper, it has not been pursued with a strong commitment, and contraceptives remain unavailable. The population program did really did not work, OPS Ferguson said this week. The infrastructure was not there to support it. There were just too many, too many GD people. If you want to control the country, you have to keep the population down. Too many people breed social unrest and communism. Something had to be done, the OP official said. The birth rate was at 3.3%, one of the highest in the world. Its population, he complained, will double in 21 years. The Civil War can help things, but it would have been greatly, it would have to be greatly expanded. Vietnam lesson. In making sure the population falls in El Salvador, Ferguson said the OPA has learned a lot from its experiences in Vietnam. We studied the thing. That area was also overpopulated and a problem. We thought that the war would lower population and we were wrong. According to Ferguson, the population in Vietnam increased during the war, despite U.S. use of defoliation and a combat strategy that encouraged civilian casualties. To reduce population quickly, said Ferguson, you have to pull all the males into the fighting and kill significant numbers of fertile, childbearing age females. He criticized the current civil war in El Salvador. You are killing a small number of males and not enough fertile females to do the job on the population. If the war went on for 30 or 40 years like this, you might accomplish something. Unfortunately, we don't have too many instances like that to say. That's the way these guys are thinking. Need, famine, and disease. However, Ferguson said the population might weaken itself, especially if the war drags on and you could have disease and starvation, like what happened in Bangladesh and Biafra. Then you can create a tendency for population to fall very rapidly. This could happen in El Salvador. When that starts happening, you have total political chaos for a while, so you must have a political program to deal with it. I can't estimate how many people might die that way. It could be a great deal depending on what happens. The preconditions for the Holocaust 
Ferguson hopes for now exist in El Salvador. The New York Times reports that the country's small and medium-sized villages are already depopulated by 50%. El Salvador survives on exports of sugar, cotton, and coffee. This year's coffee crop has been cut more than half. Sugar is down by over 20% and coffee by 7%. These facts spell mass starvation in the near term for the war-weakened peasantry. As the war intensifies, the population is being herded into strategic hamlets like those run in Vietnam by U.S. military advisors. The Jesuit-run guerrilla movement is also destroying all internal infrastructure in the countryside, burning bridges and power stations. Fully one-third of the country suffers week-long electricity blackouts. As the war intensifies, the mass murder of the El Salvadorian people is becoming a reality. Ferguson and others involved with the OPA and NSC group maintain that the United States will continue a foreign policy based on genocidal reduction of the world's population. We have a network in place of co-thinkers in the government, said the OPA case officer. We keep going no matter who is in the White House. But Ferguson reports that the White House does not really understand what they are saying and that the president thinks that population policy means how do we speed up population increase. As long as no one says differently, said Ferguson, we will continue to do our jobs. And then this is the NSC report. In April 1980, the National Security Council's ad hoc group on population policy issued an overview analysis on U.S. population policy. The document lays out the basis for all U.S. foreign policy from the Global 2000 perspective. The State Department Office of Population Affairs helped draft the report. Excerpts follow. On a planet which is already subject to growing scarcities, political uncertainty, and strains on biological and environmental systems, numbers of these dimensions have portentous implications. Already during the 70s, much of the economic gains of the third world were canceled out by the steady rise of population. Food production is not keeping pace with the population growth in most parts of the world. Moreover, rising food demand must now compete with increasingly higher priced energy imports. Norman Borlaug, pioneer of the Green Revolution, has cautioned that innovations in agricultural technology can only buy limited time with which to control population growth. The International Labor Organization estimates that in the next two decades, approximately 700 million people will enter, will enter the labor pool of developing countries. This is more than the total current labor force of the industrially advanced countries. The amount of investment required to put these people to work is astronomical. A recent World Watch Institute study estimated that the number of rural people who are effectively landless would approach 1 billion over the next two decades and predicted that conflict rooted in inequality of land ownership is apt to become more acute in country after country. Already, the estimated proportion of rural families who are landless, or nearly so, is over 80% in such countries as El Salvador and between 80 70 and 80% in Brazil, Ecuador, Peru, Bangladesh, and the Philippines. As rural population growth increases the fractionalization of the land holdings, as croplands are depleted due to over-intensive farming, and as job opportunities in the countryside diminish, the third world is experiencing a virtual urban explosion. The UN estimates that in only 20 years, some 40 less developed countries may contain over 5 million, cities may contain over 5 million inhabitants. Provisions, of jobs, housing, social services, to numbers of this magnitude over such a short period of time will present difficulties hitherto unimagined by town planners and governments. The, potentially susceptible, the potential susceptibility 
of urban unemployed youth to extremism and violence will grow. Some recent studies suggest that the contemporary phenomenon of worldwide inflation are being influenced by rising demand associated with vast increases in population. Commodities become more costly as supplies dwindle or fail to keep pace with rising demand as they become more expensive to obtain. Population growth has also been linked to pressure on energy and raw material supplies. A recent World Watch study concludes that everywhere one turns, limits are being encountered and the effects are being compounded. It seems clear that the world is entering a new period of scarcity. Problems of water pollution, soil erosion, and deforestation are becoming major international issues as a consequence of over-intensive farming, grazing, encroachment of cities, and uncontrolled industrialization. All of these factors add up to an increased potential for social unrest, economic and political instability, mass migration, and possible international conflict over scarce resources. It is admittedly difficult to be analytically precise in pinpointing exact causes for the breakdown in domestic or international order. Nevertheless, it is hard to avoid inferring some connection between the instabilities and frustrations caused by absolute and relative poverty reinforced by demographic pressures discussed above. The examples of warfare in recent memory involving India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, El Salvador, Honduras, and Ethiopia, and the growing potential for instability in such place, such places as Turkey, the Philippines, Central America, Iran, Pakistan, surely justify the question being raised. And then this is the Global 2000 approach by Lydia Schulman. The Global 2000 report issued in the spring of 1980 was the culmination of a three-year study directed by the U.S. State Department and the White House Council on Environmental Quality. As the first study of global ecological trends by the U.S. government, the report does not make policy recommendations per se, but claims to objectively project the impact of current trends in population growth and GNP on the global resource base and environment. The authors of the report state that it was intended to provide the basis for long-term planning by the U.S. government and to create a permanent institutional capability, skilled personnel data and analytical models for spinning off future studies and analyses. They state further that the report was intended as a guide in U.S. foreign policy. Quote, we are working with other nations bilaterally, building concern for population growth, national resources, and environment into our foreign aid programs and cooperating with our immediate neighbors on common problems ranging from the cleanup of air and water pollution to preservation of soils and development of new crops, a statement strongly suggesting that foreign aid henceforth be tied to population control and related measures. The premises. As in all global models of this type, what counts are underly its underlying assumptions. The gross incompetence of this report and its doomsday, doomsday predictions stem from the total denial of the transforming effects of science and technology. Good point. The projections depict conditions that are likely to develop if there are not changes in public policies, institutions, or rates of technological advance, and if there are no wars or other major disruptions. One of the most telling points of the report's flawed methodology is the assumption on nuclear fusion. The projections assume no revolutionary advances, such as immediate wide-scale availability of nu nuclear fusion for energy production. Given the premise of no change in the rate of technological advance, the report predicts that the projected growth of the world's population from 4 billion in 1975 to 6.35 billion in 2000 will lead to severe regional water shortages, extensive deforesta deforestation, irreparable deterioration of agricultural soils, and other horrors. The conclusion 
a policymaker is supposed to draw is that these consequences must be forestalled by stopping population growth short by whatever means. As authority on demographics, Global 2000 cites a 1969 U.S. Academy of Sciences report, Resources in Man, which concluded that a world population of 10 billion is close to, if not above, the maximum that an intensively managed world might hope to support with some degree of comfort and individual choice. The Global 2000 report warns that if currently projected fertility and mortality rates were to continue unchanged into the 21st century, the world's population would reach 10 billion by 2030 and nearly 30 billion before the end of the century. Among the report's other doomsday projections are on population. New data on the decline in fertility rates in areas such as Indonesia and Brazil due to unanticipated poverty and malnutrition suggests that world fertility rates will drop by more than 20% over 1975 to 2000, from an average of 4.3 children per fertile woman to 3.3. In addition, shifts in public policy will provide significantly increased access to family planning services in less developed countries. The majority of people in large LDC cities are likely to live in uncontrolled settlements, slums and shanty towns where sanitation and other public services are minimal at best on food. Assuming no deterioration in climate or weather, food production is projected to be 90% higher in 2000 than in 1970. In the LDCs, however, rising foot output will barely keep ahead of population growth. Per capita consumption in the sub-Saharan African LDCs is slated to decline. On forest, both forest cover and stocks of woods in the LDCs will decline by 40% by 2000 due to the reliance on wood for energy. On water, due to rapidly increasing demands for water, in particular to its high consumptive use in irrigation, regional water shortages and the deterioration of quality are likely to become worse by 2000. Many LDCs will also suffer the destabilization of water supplies as a result of deforestation. On energy, no early relief from the world's energy problems. In the LDCs, the demand for wood fuel will far outstrip supply, expanding deforestation. On agriculture, greater soil erosion, loss of nutrients, Compaction of soil, increasing salination of irrigated land, crop damage due to increasing air and water pollution is projected. An epilogue entering the 21st century warns that without a halt in population growth trends, the world will become more vulnerable to both natural disaster and disruptions from human causes, including wars over increasingly scarce fresh water supplies. And then I'll finish off with this interview with William Paddock. Title of it is William Paddock on Extermination. The following is, this is just how some of these people think. The following is an is excerpted from an interview with William Paddock made available to EIR. Paddock is outspoken proponent of global population reduction and a self-professed supporter of the Global 2000 Doctrine. Paddock is best known for his plan to reduce the population of Mexico to less than 35 million from its present 65 million level. He's the founding member of the Environmental Fund, whose goal is to stimulate thinking about the unthinkable, the forced reduction of the world's population. The Environmental Fund and Paddock both directly played a role in the shaping of the Global 2000 document. Paddock had significant input into State Department policy planning during the Kissinger and Carter tenures. His plan for Mexico was endorsed by National Security Advisor Zbigniew Brzezinski, pops up again. At the time of the interview, Paddock was preparing to make a presentation at the Georgetown Center for International Strategic Studies, where Kissinger currently operates 
on the effects of population on revolution in Central America. The meeting was to be attended by key policy planners from the Hague State Department. Question, what are your views on the Global 2000 document? Answer, <clears throat> it's a wonderful thing, and I'm absolutely amazed at the publicity it's received. Gerald Barney, director of the Global 2000 Project, had it done single-handedly. It's excellent, and it's got far more publicity than most studies commissioned by the White House that wind up on the shelves and are never read. It's an idea whose time has come. We need a U.S. 2000 and a Florida 2000 and a New York 2000, one for every state, to start planning and adapting to this situation that's coming. Question, looking at El Salvador from the standpoint of what was said in Global 2000, it seems to be a model country for disaster, landlocked, limited infrastructure, etc. Answer, that's an advantage, you know, but go ahead. Question, well, it has limited infrastructure and a population growth that's almost out of control that would double in 20 years. What do you do in a situation like that, in a situation like El Salvador? Answer, there's nothing you can do, nothing. What is going to happen then? Answer, total chaos, anarchy of one kind or another. Continuing military government may be rightist or leftist, but a military government. You can't expect stability where you have so much turmoil and stress generated by so many people. And why do you have military governments in Latin America? They've always had one form or another of it. I was in Honduras for 1957 when they had their 75th revolution. They've had a lot of practice. Why is it? Well, it's simple, simply because as far as I'm concerned, the land is pee poor. They've got a poor piece of real estate. It's nobody's fault. It's just the way God passed out the resources. Every single country in the world is overpopulated, overpopulated but some are more so than others. Now, why is that? Because El Salvador happens to have some of the finest land in all Latin America. And you can take a world population map where you have one dot for every 100,000 people, and except for some cities like New York, London, and Tokyo, where it'll all be black, of course. Wherever you have high concentrations of those dots, you have pretty good soil. And that's true in Latin America. You have it in Java and El Salvador and Haiti. Why? Because they've got good land, some good land. Unfortunately, some modern technology in the form of medical missionaries or medical doctors of one kind or another got there before there was any other technology that reached there. And the population explosion took place before they could develop any other resources and get their agriculture more efficiently used. And it just exploded. It exploded faster than any other place because they had more food and they had better land. And now they've grown well past the capacity of that land to take care of them. Question. So in El Salvador, are we eventually going to see a rollback of the population? Answer. It will happen somehow. Question. You mean famine, disease? Answer. One of the four horsemen. And now a fifth one, which is the bomb. Question, can it be done without pain, the pain and suffering? Answer, I don't think so at all. <clears throat> I don't think so for a couple of reasons. First of all, speaking of the population growth rate, to level off or drop, the problem is that the people who are going to cause the stress in the next 20 years are already here. They're born. They're walking around. Half the population is under the age of 15. It would be well if no one had any more kids between now and the year 2000. But the big problem's already there. The other reason is we don't know how to motivate people to want to have fewer children. We just don't know how to do it. Malthus, in his dismal theorem, said that the only check on the population growth is starvation and misery. And no matter how favorable the environment or how advanced the technology, population will grow until it is miserable and starved. That's what he said, all right? There's an economist at the University of Colorado, a very famous economist, Kenneth Boulding, who has what he calls his utterly miserable theorem. 
and his utterly miserable theorem is that the only check on the growth of population is starvation and misery, then any technological improvement will have the ultimate effect of increasing the sum of human misery because it permits a larger proportion to live in precisely the same state of misery and starvation as before the change. And this, of course, is what we're trying to do with our foreign aid program in sending food and improving the agriculture of the area or making it possible to sustain more people. Question, doesn't Global 2000 say that we should re-examine that? Answer, yes, I think it says that. Question, are there, there are some that say the best contraceptive is development. Answer, that's bilge. In theory, it probably is, but show me the country where it works. It's a grasping for excuses to get money for aid when they come up with something like that. If a country such as El Salvador is going to improve a lot of its people, it's going to have to bite the bullet itself. There's nothing we can do to come up with a birth control program, agricultural program, industrialization program. And by saying that we can, we put off the need for Salvador to try to do something about the problem itself. Question, is the U.S. overpopulated? Answer, yes. Question, what's your thinking on it? Answer, I think if we had 100 million people, it would be really fabulous. Question, how would we get to that level given where we are now? Is that possible without a war? Answer, well, there's a man putting together an organization called 100 Million Americans, and he's trying to show how it can be done. I don't think it can be done. We haven't bit the bullet ourselves. Look at the number of illegal aliens we permit coming in here. Question, what about El Salvador? What would be the ideal population there? Answer, well, when I went there in 1950, there was 1.7 million people. It's 4 million now. It was pretty bad off in 1950, but it had more charm. I'd have lived there then. Most people are barefoot. I think that as far as what the United States can do, I think we just have to live with the situation. We have to adopt policies that can permit us to live with it. Question, that's really what Global 2000 says. I understand you're going to deliver a paper on the effects of the revolution. Answer, it's on the influence of population in the destabilization in Central America. It's for a seminar that the Georgetown Center for the Strategic and International Studies is holding on El Salvador. I don't really know the purpose of the meeting. I thought it was to help, to help with the United States form a strategy to cope with it, to what they should do with El Salvador. Question, what about Cambodia? Is that an example of Malthusianism? Answer, I don't know enough about Cambodia, but if that took place in Salvador today, because I know Salvador, I'd say yes, that is one of the scenarios you can end up with. Question, you could have millions of people dying. Answer, well, you're going to have millions of people dying, certainly from lack of food in the third world, and certainly in the next 20 years, no shadow of a doubt about it. Famine is absolutely, totally inevitable. There's no way to stop it. We've had a good crop years the last three or four, so people feel pretty comfortable that we're going into 1981 with the lowest reserves the world has seen since the last 10 or 15 years. You've had a population of the world growing at an average rate of 1% faster than food production has grown since 1975. And that's going to produce the effect you're talking about? Answer, well, one of these days, as long as the weather is good, we can squeak by. But the trend is always more and more on the brink. If the monsoon is two or three weeks late in India this year, it will be a very bad thing. We'll know that by July 10th or so. And our Middle West is very deficient in subsoil moisture right now, a dry year last year. The U.S. may very well be quite unable to ship the wheat, soybeans, and corn the world is counting on. And if this should happen two years in a row, there's absolutely nothing that can be done about it. And that's the trend. If it doesn't happen in two years, it will happen in three or four. Absolutely positively fact. If you can blame, blame anybody, it's the medical profession. Question. 
because they've kept so many people alive? Answer, absolutely. They've given the world death control without birth control. Two-thirds of the world is living on very marginal subsistence, and that's three billion people. So that's the end. It's kind of just like they're thinking. It's pretty remarkable. Um, let me see if I can find more about the Deagle report. There's different people have done stuff on it or covered it. Um, yeah, let's see. Here's, a, here's another one. Let's see if we can do this. Deagle forecast. Biological war, significant population reduction, potential war in the U.S. and China, possible nu nuclear war. We definitely have undergone a biological warfare in the last three years. So that's for sure. So, but yeah. So that's it. I guess this is probably an AI summary that I have right here. Anyway, thanks for thank you for listening. That was Bioweapon Blues 47. Will the Deagle forecast be fulfilled? Thank you for listening.